Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jack Rico, and you're listening to Episode 2 of Highly Relevant with Jack Rico. This is the podcast where I interview the people and discuss those moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with none other than singer, producer, and host Nick Lachey about headlining this summer's My 2K tour with 98 Degrees, as well as taking a journey behind the artists and albums that served as the foundation of his musical career, plus how television became an unexpected career changer. I also go toe-to-toe with WWE's SummerSlam event happening this Sunday. My good friend Andrew Goldstein joins me to discuss what fans can expect this weekend and the bigger picture on whether the WWE can continue its ratings dominance in a digital streaming world. And I'll also recap Baz Luhrmann's new multicultural Netflix musical, The Get Down along with the most relevant entertainment stories of the week, as well as share what I think will be the best animated film at next year's Oscar Awards. Hint, it comes out this weekend. My first guest is Nick Lachey, who is one of the more versatile people in show business. He's the lead singer for 98 Degrees, who has sold over 10 million albums worldwide, an actor who has appeared on film and on the small screen, a producer of hit programs, a host for various popular TV shows, and a savvy business entrepreneur. But what is most admirable about Nick is his longevity in the business. He always seems to take on projects that keep him relevant, fresh, and somehow grounded. Nick, thanks for being on the podcast. Jack, you were officially hired as my new publicist. (laughs) The most amazing intro I've ever gotten, I think. (laughs) Well, dude, I think you deserve it. I mean, you've earned it. Um, You know, one of the things, I mean, I've known you for quite some time, and one of the things that that has always sort of stuck to me, your biggest quality has been your, your humility. Where does your ability to stay humble come from? I mean, you're a guy who exudes chivalry, unpretentiousness, and just all around good ethos. Well, I mean, first off, thank you. I appreciate that, and appreciate that you you recognize that. I mean, I, I think that um, yeah, I, I was raised in the Midwest, and I'm from Cincinnati, and and uh, I think there's a kind of a, a different mentality growing up in in the Midwest, and and uh, and you know, no matter what I've been able to do in my career and career accomplishments, I've tried to to, to always you know remember that. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm just a, you know, just a kid from Ohio and, and, uh, and never let any of that stuff get away from me. So, uh, it doesn't matter what you do or who you are or how successful you are in life. Uh, at the end of the day, we're all people, uh, you know, we're all humans and we, we have to, we have to always kind of remind our, you know, ourselves that, uh, we're, you know, we're all kind of equal on that level. And, 
you, you know better or worse than, than anybody else. So um, that's just kind of the way I've always tried to look at things. You and I know each other from VH1 uh, when we did Big Morning Buzz Live. Looking back at it, how would you summarize your time with the show and do you miss it? Yeah, you know, it was it was a great opportunity for me to, to step into uh, into hosting a, a live, you know, television uh, program, you know, five days a week from Times Square, which is, you know, a really unique and, and cool opportunity. Um, and I do miss it. I, you know, it was it was such a such cool uh, experience. And, and, you know, I think what I really miss the most about it is just the chance to get to, you know, to get to interview and, and, and talk with very interesting people each and every day. I mean, you know, obviously the guests that came on, some I knew. Some I didn't, but by the end of the interview, I felt like I knew everybody, and it was just a great, it was a great experience to get to to talk with them, know them, uh, to work with people like yourself, uh, you know, great, great uh, crew and 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 staff, and uh, so yeah, there's not a day that goes by I don't think, man, that was a that was a great opportunity, and 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 I uh, I missed the the chance to still do it every day. Uh, you're back together with 98 Degrees on this summer's My 2K tour, and from all the reviews I've been reading, it they've been really good, man. How do you like touring at this stage of your life now that you're a husband and a father of two? Is it different? It's very different. Yeah, I mean, it was you know obviously when you were when you're in your early 20s, uh, you know, touring with with the fellas in a boy band, it, it took on a different kind of uh, identity. But but now at this point in my life, with two kids and, and a family, you know, it's, it's about it's about going out and, and look. I don't get me wrong. I love I love doing the shows. I love touring. But at the same time, the, the priority of my life now is my family. So it's about balancing the two, you know, and, and being able to to still give my my family what they need in terms of my availability and, and attention and and, uh, and 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 the band the same. So um, this this tour has been great because we've been able to do you know kind of a five show in a row uh, system, and then and then you know I'm able to go home for a couple of days to the West Coast and see my you know, see my kids and my wife and then come back out and do the, and do the tour again. So, um, yeah, it's been a good, it's been a good setup and a good system. Uh, and the tour itself has been a blast. You know, fans have been incredible. The show has been great. Um, you know, I think there's a real, there's a real kind of nostalgia for, for the late nineties music when things were a little more simple. You know, I, I've mm-hmm. kind of said this before, you know, after nine 11, everything became so much more serious You're and, right, and for good man. reason, but, but things became, you know, it, the, the way we view the world and the way we view, um, life became a lot more complicated, and and I think there's a there's a real eagerness to go back to a time when it was just a little bit, a little more simple and a little uh, a little cleaner and, and and a little more joyous. And, and I think the you know the music of the late '90s, the boy bands and and all that stuff, um, you know, kind of represent that. So the crowds have been been great, and, and we're having a great time being a part of it. You know, you strike me to be a guy who really loves music. I mean, like the process, the business. What was your favorite decade for music, and which artists and albums were the ones that inspired you to believe that you could make a living off of singing? Man, Jack, you're good at this, man. You're asking good questions. Uh, you know, I think the um, – for me, it was kind of like the 70s and, and like uh, kind of a classic rock guy and, and you know, whether it be, uh, you know, Zeppelin or Stones or – Oh, wow. So you're like a rock heavy guy. Beatles. I just feel like I feel like there was a, there was a lot of creative license that that existed back then that that even you know even pop acts um, you know still draw from you know to this day. So um, I think that was kind of like that was kind of like the sweet spot of music when when there was no holds barred. Uh, and not that it's not that way now, because I do think more than ever we're seeing people challenge the the boundaries and and uh, and, and you know and, and push music in, in ways that's never been pushed before, which is great. Uh, but for me, I think the times that, it, you know, and, and look, the early 80s, you know, the Michael Jackson, 
um, era, the Prince era. You know, I mean, those were those were. You know, those were the guys I grew up with. You have had the good fortune to meet some incredibly talented musicians. I've seen you talk to Taylor Swift. I've seen you talk to John Legend. Out of everybody you've met, Nick, whose talent has the has been the one that's left a permanent imprint on you? Man, you know it's it's a that's a tough question because I've to your point I've had a chance to meet to meet so many you know great and talented people, but I think the one that from a personal interaction standpoint has, has left the biggest mark on me is is. Uh, is Stevie Wonder and we had a chance to work with Stevie early in our career uh, on a soundtrack song for the, for the Disney movie Milan but you know I mean such a legend of, of our uh, of our business and, and a chance to, to, to work with him and learn from him uh, at an early stage in our career was you know it's just it's an incredible it's an incredible moment for, for me in my in my life in my career so if I had to pick one and it's hard to because there's so many uh, people that I've had a chance to be with and interact with over the years but Stevie Wonder um, you know, to me is, is one of the all time legends and, and I'll never, you know, I'll never forget the impact he had on, on, uh, on myself and, and on my group. I want to go back for a second to your first album. Uh, you guys were originally signed by Motown. Speaking of Stevie wonder. Yeah. Did you guys have an understanding of the significance of what that meant at such a young age? We, well, we thought, at least we thought we did. Yeah, it was, it was a big, big deal for us. It was, you know, to be signed to any label, you know, as a musician, <laughs> right. obviously a huge, a huge uh, accomplishment, but to be signed to Motown, uh, especially as a, as a white group, um, you know, was, uh, was a big, big deal for us. And we, we always fashioned ourselves as, as singers first. And, uh, and, 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 you know, we really took a lot of pride in our harmonies and our, our musicality. And so to, to be able to go into the offices of Motown, you know, records and, and, and audition live and sing acapella live and get signed uh, on the spot. I think for us, we, we saw that as a real validation uh, in terms of who we are and our talent. So, um, yeah, Motown, I mean, what a great legacy and what a great history that the label you know, has. And uh, and we're you know so proud and, and, and so honored to have you know, been a small part of that. And uh uh, and you know the fact that we were we were a white group on Motown, you know, adds a little bit of a cherry on top. But Motown, just as a label in general, I mean, what a great you know legendary label to be a part of. And uh, and, and you know, as I said, we were honored to, to have been a part of that. Outside of Stevie Wonder, any favorite artists or albums that that you remember going? Oh man, I, I this was the dude that influenced my the way I sing, my phrasing, uh, singing love ballads, etc. Ah uh, man, Brian Knight. You know, Brian Knight's an amazing artist and one of the great, you know, ballad singers of my of my you know lifetime. Um, you know, on, on a different uh, on a different level. Um, you know, uh, Dave Grohl I think is one of the most talented people in music. You know, if you think about two of the most successful bands of my lifetime, oh Nirvana, God, yeah. Fighters. You know, he's he's been in both. I mean, how many guys can can say that? So. Um, yeah, I mean, look, and, and Michael Jackson, um, certainly not the way I sing. I wish I could sing like him, but, um, as a performer and, you know, as a human being, we had, we had a chance to be a part of his tribute concert, uh, and perform for him. How uh, did you, was, did you get a chance to meet him? How, how was he like? Yeah, we did. We, we, you know, we, we performed, this was, you know, this was you know, way back in 2001, but we had a, a chance to perform in Madison Square Garden. I remember that concert. Um, Along with uh, with Luther Vandross, who, who again is another one of, of the, the all time great, um, and and Usher, as it was Usher, Luther, and, and 90 Degrees, and we performed Man in the Mirror. A summer's disregard, a broken bottle top, and a one man soul. They follow each other on the wind, you know, because they got nowhere to go. 
just a surreal moment. You know, I had a chance to meet him and talk with him briefly. And um, yeah, what did you guys I mean, talk about? Just you know, hey, he kind of gave me you know a little advice. Nice to meet you. You guys are doing great. I mean, it was very brief, but you know, I mean, just the chance to to, to you know talk with a, a legend like that was yeah. myself is is lasting. Uh, let's flash forward a little bit to uh, your discography. Let's talk about your last group album, 2.0, which came out in 2013. Yep. Man, I remember that year because it, it's like every former boy band dropped an album. It was the same year New Kids in the Block dropped 10. Don't let it go. Backstreet Boys dropped in a world right. like this. You guys dropped 2.0. Hey, I heard all three albums, and I'm not just saying this, dude, but I, I always thought that 2.0 was the best album of the three. Did you feel the album was one of your best? And what does that album rank amongst the band's catalog? You know, I mean, we were very, very proud of, of, uh, of 2.0. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to step away from music for, you know, for the better part of, you know, 12, 13, 14 years and then come back together and, and, and do a project. And, and, uh, you know, we took it very seriously. We, um, and we, 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 um, I thought had some great songs, picked some great songs. Um, but you know, music's, music's changed. And, and music's you know, taste of music has changed. Um, so, you know, you can never you never necessarily judge your success by, by how well it sells or doesn't sell. Um, so I, we were very proud of 2.0, I think, as a group collectively. Mm-hmm. Our favorite album is is our Christmas album. I think um, that's oh, the one that, okay. that, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that has stood the test of time the best. And, and the one that, um, you know, we collectively are, are the most proud of. Um, but I think all of our music, I mean, they all represent, you know, different chapters in our career. And certainly we were different, you know, different phases of, of our of our musical ability and et cetera, et cetera. But they all are, you know, they all hold a special place in our heart uh, in different ways. So, you know, Revelation 2, our, you know, our last our last album that we did in, in 2000 uh, before we took a little hiatus there. Very, very proud of that one. I thought we did a great job on that record. Um so yeah, I mean they all they all hold special places in in our hearts, but I think the Christmas record, um, you know, for the most part is our is our is the one we're most proud of collectively. Uh, there were three standout songs to me particularly that I, that I enjoy so much that I just play them when I hear them uh, from 2.0. That's lonely, impossible things, and it can't get enough. As soon as you heard them, did you know they were going to be special? Uh, you know, you never, you never know what's going to be special. Honestly, it's, it's, it's weird. Like, I mean, there's some songs you hear and you're like, Oh, I knew it was a hit the minute I heard it. And then I can, t- I can give you an example of another song. Uh, one of our songs from, from uh, 92 reason rising, uh, hardest thing, which on, you know, it's probably our biggest hit, you know, frankly, right. In terms of airplay. And, and it was a song that we didn't even want to record. You're uh, kidding. You know, the label, the label <laughs> pushed it on us and we, and we, we said, yeah, we're not really feeling it. We don't you know, want to record it. And they said, well, you're going to, you know, you're going to record it anyway. And they basically forced our hand and, and thank God they did because it ended up being a huge hit. So, um, you know, sometimes you think you have the instincts and, and you can see what's going to happen and, and you're dead wrong. And other times, um, you know, you just, you just can't see what's coming. So, um, I, I will say this about Impossible Things. When we recorded that record, um, you know, I'll never forget where we recorded it, and, and, and it was one of those songs where it just it had a special, it had a special vibe to it. I'm gonna march my own parade. I'm gonna bring back yesterday. I'd split atoms if I had, but I don't so anyway. I'm 
There's so much layers behind it, like just melodically, yeah. man. Yeah, it was, you know, I wish I could say I'd, I'd written it. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. But, you know, when you hear a great song, you hear a great song. And, and I, that's kind of, as, as a performer, that's the way I've always tried to look at things. Hey, if I write it, you know, it's icing on the cake. But if I can sing a great song, if I have a chance to sing a great song, man, there's, there's nothing better. So, What did you think of the front of the lead singers? I, I, I mean, being a lead singer, a front man of a band like you are, what do you think it takes to be a great lead singer of a group? Well, I mean, I think being a great singer and being a great lead singer of a group are, are sometimes different. You know, I mean, you and, and someone who's, you know, found a way to do both is, is, you know, is a great example is Justin Timberlake. You know, he obviously is an incredible solo artist. He has all the, uh, you know, all the skill set to, to, you know, to be that. Um, but when you're in a group, you're about, you're about, you know, it's about being a piece of a puzzle. And, um, and you know, yeah, there's, there's guys that may, you know, sing more lead parts and may, you know, uh, at least to the audience stand out more. But it really is about everybody. And, and if you can't grasp your head, you know, if you can't grasp that concept and wrap your head around that concept, then I think that's uh, ultimately going to be uh, detrimental to the group. So it's about everybody finding their, their niche and their role and, and executing that, you know, to perfection. That's kind of what makes the team work, makes, you know, makes the group work. Um, so, look, Justin's fantastic. I think he's a great lead singer. Um, you know, the new kids, I thought, you know, Jordan and, 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 uh, and, and Joey, um, did a great job of, of, of splitting, uh, splitting stuff. I mean, I'll take you back to, you know, new edition. I mean, Oh yeah, good. of let's course. Talk, let's talk a little, let's talk a little Johnny Gill and, you know, and, and uh, Rob <laughs> Tresband. I mean, so it's, it's, uh, you know, there's been, there's been some great ones over the years. Um, certainly you can go all the way back to Jackson five, you know, I mean, Michael was the front man pretty much for the Jackson five and certainly went on to have. Uh, probably the, the most epic solo career of anyone ever. Um, but uh, yeah, it's all about when you're, it's about being able to find your role in a specific situation. You know, how you are as a solo artist uh, is not necessarily how you need to be in a group. And, um, you know, it, there's only a handful of people I can think of that, that have been able to do both well. Why were you guys never five members? It seems like that was like the template for a boy band, five vocal members. We never wanted to be a boy band. Honestly, we were we were we crafted ourselves in the mold of, of boys to men, and they you know they were four. Um, and so I grew up in I grew up singing in different groups, whether they you know they were barbershop quartets or um, or doo wop groups, and it was always four members. Uh, the only you know, the five member thing was a boy band deal, and um, and honestly, we we got caught up in in the boy band movement, as it were, and and certainly we're thankful for that because it was a huge. Uh, you know, huge career, uh, you know, move for us. But we never really thought of ourselves as a boy band. We were, we were a harmony group. We were, we were a harmony vocal group. Uh, so you had your bass, your baritone, your, your, your first and second tenor, and that was it. How did you get started in TV? And did you ever think that television was going to be such a successful medium for you, man? I, I never did, uh, honestly, Jack. I, I, I got started in TV doing the, you know, the reality show Newlyweds with my, with my ex-wife, and it was that, that show for us was meant to be a vehicle to promote our records you know we both had solo albums that were coming out and the show was on mtv and it was you know supposed to be just a quick six episode thing so we thought hey this is a great way to you know promote our, our records and and no one uh, including ourselves ever saw the the success of that show uh coming so um but i think what it did for me as a as a as a personality was it took me out of hey he's one of the guy you know guys in the boy band 90 degrees and it gave me an identity that 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 transcended that 
um, and, and it opened up a lot of opportunities for me, um, you know, in, in other TV, you know, mediums. I think once people see you on TV, um, then they start to identify you with TV. And so it, for me, it, it was a great it was a great way to kind of to branch out and, and do more stuff uh, in the television world. And but, you know, honestly, never, ever, ever saw um, you know, career in TV is my end all be all. I was, I was a singer and a performer and, and that's kind of where I, I saw it, you know, always being. And then the, the whole TV, uh, you know, opportunity, uh, was a welcome surprise, but it was a surprise. I saw you in the Kelly Ripa show. Is there any interest to be a part of that show? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said there was no interest. I mean, I, I, I adore Kelly. I think she's, uh, I think she's an amazing talent, amazing human. Um, and I always, I always enjoy being a part of, of that show. So I've been blessed to, to have been asked to co-host with her a handful of times. And, um, you know, if the opportunity to, to be, um, uh, to be there permanently ever presented itself, I would be beyond excited for it. But, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of guys who are saying the same thing I am. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's one of those, that's one of those jobs when it opens up, it's like, okay, everyone's, everyone's gunning for that one. And, but I'm definitely, uh, I feel honored to have, to have been asked to be a part of that mix at least. What's next for Nick Lachey? You know what? I'm gonna go home and, and be dad for a little bit. You know, I've been away from the, from the kids, so I'm excited to go home and, and, and spend some time with the family and, and then, uh, and then on to the next project, you know, I think that's the, that's the key. Uh, I think Whoopi Goldberg is, is the one I attribute this quote to, but she said, look, just never stop working, you know, always work, find something to do, always work. And one thing leads to another. So whether it's radio or a podcast or hosting TV or another album or a solo album or a group album or who knows what it is, but as long as you're continuing to move forward and, 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 uh, and create, you know, positive inertia, uh, you're doing the right thing. So not really sure specifically what lies ahead, but I, I promise you that something lies ahead. You know, we, we always keep moving forward. Thanks, Nick, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on, man. Jack, thanks for having me, man. Good talking with you. You can catch Nick Lachey currently on tour with 98 Degrees and the My2K Tour around the country. Up next, what does Gael Garcia Bernal and Jason Priestley have in common? That and a recap of the most interesting pop culture news stories of the week in a segment I like to call Jacked In as in plugged in, but I'm using my name? Never mind. Let's go ahead with some movie news headlines. Will Ferrell and John C. Riley are reteaming for a Sherlock Holmes comedy. The Pokemon Company are launching a live-action film franchise based on Detective Pikachu. Future Yankee Hall of Famer Derek Jeter is getting into the movie business. And Gael Garcia Bernal, the symbol of Mexican cinema, and 90210's Jason Priestley are co-starring in a new film together called Zoom, a fast-paced, half-animated, half-live-action, multi-plot comedy that reminds me of Ari Folman's the Congress. From the looks of the trailer, it probed my curiosity. Zoom comes out September 2nd. Changing screens on over to television, Comedy Central's The Larry Wilmore Show just got canceled this week due to poor ratings. USA's hit show Mr. Robot got renewed for season three. Marvel is expanding to Hulu, E cancels the Caitlyn Jenner series, and Catherine Zeta-Jones joins FX's Feud with Jessica Lang and Susan Sarandon. If you're interested in knowing what the top three tracks in the country are right now, here they are. This is What You Came For by Calvin Harris featuring Rihanna and written by Taylor Swift. Cold Water by Major Lazer featuring Justin Bieber and M.O. And 
the number one song in America, Cheap Thrills by Sia featuring Sean Paul. In tech news, Gawker was officially sold in an auction to Spanish-language TV giant Univision for $135 million. They seem to be plumbing up for a big IPO sale by adding a plethora of millennial and multicultural digital brands like The Onion, The Root, and The AV Club. Also, Google just released Duo, which looks to challenge Apple's FaceTime feature on the iPhone. I tested it, and I can report it's the real deal. Finally, in Broadway news, Disney and Puerto Rican Broadway icon Lin-Manuel Miranda have a love affair that can't be stopped. Apart from composing music on The Force Awakens, penning all the songs for Moana, and co-starring in the new Mary Poppins Return sequel, Miranda is now teaming with legendary film composer Alan Menken to compose the songs for Disney's live-action reboot of The Little Mermaid. Congrats, Lin, and hope this adventure never ends. Oh, and happy birthday to four-time Oscar winner and Mexican director Alejandro González Iñárritu, who turned 53 this week. Felicitaciones, caballero. My next guest is Andrew Goldstein. He's a TV writer, producer, podcaster, and former WWE creative team member in 2006. He's also one of the biggest wrestling aficionados I know. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Mr. Rico, thank you so much, sir. Well, before we begin with SummerSlam this Sunday at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, I uh, just want to say congratulations on getting married very soon, buddy. Thank you. It's like Macho Man and Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> I highly uh, doubt yeah, it's I... just like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, October 1st, so we're under two months, and uh, I leave for my bachelor party tomorrow in uh, Austin, Texas. So very, very exciting, and uh, I've procrastinated a lot. I procrastinated a lot of the details uh, for my own personal uh, needs, so I, I have about a month and a half to get all my stuff together. Well, congratulations once again. Uh, I also want to talk to you about your podcast, Sorry I've Been So Busy, is the name of the podcast, which you co-host with writer-comedian Matt Goldich. Goldich, Goldich. Goldich. Goldich and Goldstein. Yeah, man. He, we, we went to camp together. We, we grew up together. We went to camp together. We were NBC Pages together. We started doing comedy together. And now he's a uh, he's a writer at uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers, and I'm doing my thing. And we finally got together and did a podcast. We talked to very busy people about what they're busy with, and sometimes it turns out that the pe- that the people we're talking to are not so busy, and that they're lying to everybody in their lives about how busy they are. So uh, we get to the bottom of all that, and we talk about a lot of minutia, and uh, it's it's very fun. Uh, sorry I've been so busy. You can find it on iTunes, and uh, you know subscribe i i guarantee you'll enjoy it we have really 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 fun and successful interesting guests i noticed you had some really good ones i saw you interviewed michelle buteau yeah chris regan uh, former writer of the daily show current writer of uh, family guy we had neil brennan who co-created chappelle show with michelle collins formerly of the view that's right and uh yeah so really really good uh, judah friedlander from 30 Rock. So really good um really good busy, fun, entertaining people. And, uh, it's been a real, um, it's just been so much fun. I am sure you can agree. Like the podcast, we always joke, like you have to start a podcast to like hang out with your friends. (laughs) We've just, we've caught up with so many of our friends just because we're having this podcast. So it's been a, it's been a really wonderful experience and I would hope, uh, some people give it a shot. Absolutely. Well, you were a WWE creative team member back in 06 
Um, I always wondered, were you involved in writing storylines at the company, kind of like you know Vince Russo did? Yes, sir. That was uh, that was my job, man. I got hired because I had MTV on my resume, and they were starting the Diva Search competition. They brought me in to sort of the, apparently, you know, when I got hired, they said you'll you'll really uh, focus on the Diva Search and helping us because we have the Miz and he's going to host it and all that. That lasted for a couple of weeks, and then I was really just thrust right into writing Raw, writing SmackDown and writing ECW at the time. And then I really honed in and they put me on the SmackDown creative team. And I really, um, you know, focused on that as, uh, my main, my main duties. But when we were at TV on Mondays and Tuesdays, man, it was all hands on deck. And so I worked on all three shows and, uh, all kinds of other projects, but yeah, we were writing storylines. We were creating characters and we were flying on Vince McMahon's private jet from city to city. Wow. We were, I, dro- I drove from town to town with Dusty Rhodes and Paul Heyman and uh, you know Brother Love and all the all the sort of former wrestlers that Brother helped us together backstage. Yeah, Bruce <laughs> Pritchard. So it was um, it was you know half nightmare, half the you know the biggest dream come true uh, ever. That's so cool, man. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about SummerSlam this Sunday. Listen, man, I was at WrestleMania uh, 32 in Dallas, and I had not seen wrestling for quite some time. And as soon as I got back into it, I couldn't believe the amount of people that went to WrestleMania. I was like, wrestling is 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 alive, is and yeah. well. And but one thing that struck me, man, is I personally, and this is not speaking on behalf of anyone else outside of me, I was disappointed because I really didn't know anyone anymore man i had not seen wrestling in several years and it was enough for me to be completely disconnected with what was going on and when i tried to look for the stars uh the new stars i really couldn't connect with anyone and and one of the big things that 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 struck me was how come there are no stars that have the breadth of appeal of the 80s and 90s characters why do you think that is yeah, it's a very homogenized product now. Um, and even since WrestleMania, which is just in April, and here we are in uh, August, I mean, the roster has completely turned over even more so since WrestleMania because of the whole NXT developmental system and the roster split now. They split they split rosters just recently between Raw and SmackDown. So there's separate wrestlers on Raw, separate wrestlers on SmackDown, and then you have NXT, which is... Uh, you know, you can watch online on the WWE Network. But I, I think it has to do with the two things. One is they have a PG rating on the show. Mm-hmm. And so there's not much room for the uh, creativity that we used to see in the 80s because of the PG product. There's only so much you can do. And they, look, they have more hours of TV to produce but they have less rope to do it with, if that makes sense. Right. And uh, the other thing is, you know, it's prime time now. They're prime time TV on Mondays and Tuesdays. And so they really, they, they really have to have good look, you know, like Vince has a, a specific picture of what he wants to see. And uh, it's a lot of like model looking, very good looking guys. Whereas, the, you know, the idea of monster wrestlers has kind of, fallen by the wayside there's no more george the animal steel there's no more uh you know yoko zuna like the, the sort of different body types i mean there are definitely examples now of people like that but for the most part they're like young you know athletic you know, greased up uh you know smart talking 
they, they could e- as easily be on suits on USA <laughs> Network as they are on WWE programming. Who are the current wrestlers right now that you think are the real deal and that we all should be following? Well, obviously, it starts with Brock Lesnar. He's the Keithy Cross. Uh, he's the crossover star. He's the UFC fighter who's also in the WWE. So, you, and he's the guy who's on ESPN uh, a lot. So, I, I would start with Brock, and then you get down. Obviously, John Cena is still there. Randy Orton, the Big Show, Kane. Those are. But those are the old guys. guys. Who are the new guys? The old guys. So the new guys. Seth Rollins is the main guy. He is not champion right now, but he is chasing the title. And um, Seth is kind of like the. It looks like he is the guy. He can talk. He can work. He uh, looks like a million dollars. And uh, he, Seth Rollins would be the guy to really watch. And then there's, there's other really fun guys, like Kevin Owens is a really fun guy. He came up from the independent circuit. He's a, he is sort of a, like a Dusty Rhodes type of body. So he doesn't look like everybody else. And, uh, you know, he's a really fun guy to latch on to and be excited about. And then, obviously, Vince's hand-picked guy, Roman Reigns. Oh my God! Uh, what a disaster looked, that guy was, man. He looks like Jason Momoa. He does. Yeah, like a he's prettier a, version of him, actually. Yeah, he is a you know uh, like a Game of Thrones character come to life in the wrestling world. So um, uh, those would be my names that that I would throw out at you. But you, look, man, you got to see The Undertaker versus Shane McMahon. You got to see Shane McMahon fly off the cage. I did. That was that was an iconic moment for me, and 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 another moment for me that I was very excited for was Roman Reigns. Uh, but my brother, what I couldn't believe is the amount of booing that Roman Reigns was was having. Physically, this guy looks perfect, like the next generation yeah. champion for the WWE and somebody that Vince McMahon and the whole company can back. But then one thing that my brother told me is that the reason they boo him is because the guy has no mic skills whatsoever and no personality. He's all looks and nothing else. It's a little more complicated than that. The the the, the polarizing boos and cheers uh, comes from the fact that he was hand he was overtly handpicked by Vince McMahon and sort of quote unquote shoved down the fans' throats as opposed to organically sort of rising to the top spot the way, you know, The Rock did. Look, if you go back to in The Rock's career, he started as a heel, as a bad guy, and he the fans chose to turn him into this crowd-pleasing, baby you know, um, white-meat babyface. With Roman Reigns, they just saw what he looked like, and they said, this is the guy, he's our next Cena, he's our next Rock, and they just started, they, they skipped steps. If I can simplify it, the best way to simplify it is WWE skipped about five or six major steps in the progression of Roman Reigns, and they just threw him at us as a babyface that we were supposed to get behind and believe in without really explaining to us what he's all about, who he is, making us care about him. And I think that's where a lot of the booze come in, whereas Daniel Bryan, the whole Yes movement, that guy... The fans, that was a grassroots, the fans believed in him. The fans got behind him, regardless of what the office was doing. The fans made made that guy get his push to the top spot. Roman Reigns was just given the top spot. Now, look, he earns it in the ring. He's really, really become fantastic in the ring, and he's getting better on the mic. And obviously his look is, you know, A+. plus. So 
I think he's getting there. But if I to simplify it, I would just say that WWE skipped a bunch of steps in his in his evolution. Um, the uh, Roman will obviously be uh, at SummerSlam. He's going to go against Rusev for the title. I think he's going to lose. Uh, simply because, from what I understand, Roman Reigns didn't pass the wellness policy, and that's when that's a drug and policy, probably PDs or something like that, which Alberto Del Rio also was involved in. Yeah, breaking news Break- just today: Alberto Del Rio got clipped. Got clipped, and so now, look, I don't want to say the word steroids, but it's some sort of uh, drug policy that they failed, whatever that may be, is now starting to become a bit of a black eye in wrestling, and a lot of these stars. Um, but what is the most important match at SummerSlam this Sunday, and why the hell should we care about this event? Well, I mean, if you're outside of the wrestling bubble, if you don't watch every week, Randy Orton versus Brock Lesnar is a match 15 years in the making. These two dudes were in the minor leagues together. They were in the WWE developmental system in the same class together. It was John Cena, Dave Bautista, Brock Lesnar, and Randy Orton. And throughout this whole 15 years, they've all, everybody, everybody has wrestled each other, but Brock and Randy have not wrestled in, in a big-time program, in a big-time... Uh, Since 2002, in a, in a, right, where Brock yeah, beat Randy. They wrestled sort of, you know, because there was a million matches every week, but not in, like, the showcase that, that they have right now. And so this, this match truly is 15 years in the making. And I applaud WWE for actually telling us that story. They cut a, a tremendous history package on these two guys and their history. And so for me, that's the kind of like old school flavor that I like in uh, wrestling. I like when it's presented as real, as real competition. So that's the match I'm most looking forward to. But then if you look at the titles, again, with the brand split, you have two major title matches with, um, you know, uh, Dean Ambrose versus Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler finally getting a shot. He's sort of like your your Shawn Michaels type of character. But, uh, you know, the WWE has never really put the ball in his court, even though he kind of looks like he has all the tools. And then on the other side, you have Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. Finn Balor is the, the, the new uh, sensation coming up from NXT. He's an international star. He was a huge star in Japan. And they just brought him up to the main roster. And those two are wrestling in a match to determine who's going to uh, be the first ever WWE Universal Champion. This is a new title that they've just created because of the brand split. That title will live on the Raw brand. And so there's two big title matches. And uh, that you'd say the top of the card. Those two matches and Brock versus Randy is the reason why you're you're buying SummerSlam or going to the event. Last couple of questions, Andrew. How are the Raw and SmackDown TV shows doing right now? You know, look, uh, it's interesting. Raw, Monday Night Raw in the heyday of the Attitude Era was getting sixes. Sixes. They've lost more than half of their audience. Uh, you know, they get below a three now. Uh, sometimes they get below, it's the dog days of summer. Sometimes they dip uh, in the mid twos below a two. Um, but to them, to them and to USA, that's still really great in today's current TV landscape. You know, obviously there's infinitely more choices for what you could watch on a Monday night. Everything is a la carte now. So Raw, I think, still is the lifeblood of the USA Network. And, uh, you know, if you just look narrow, if you just look in a vacuum, Raw is doing fantastic. But if you compare it to what it was doing in the 90s, it, you know, it lost uh, more than half of, of its audience. 
SmackDown has been on Thursdays, then it was on Tuesdays, then it was moved back to Thursdays. Now it's back on Tuesday. Now it's on Tuesday, and it's live for the first time. Jeez. So um, I haven't really looked at the numbers of how SmackDown Live is doing. I think um, they've made some format changes and some technical uh, set changes and new some new camera angles, and there's a lot of new talent on that show, so it's a really fun fresh uh show to watch but uh i'm always loyal to the smackdown brand because that's what i wrote on and so uh right. i'm a big supporter of smackdown live on tuesdays but i haven't looked at the numbers the way uh the, the way you do you know because of that loss of viewership i mean it's happening all over the place and on television the wwe launched a streaming service about two years ago called the wwe network uh, how has that been going and do you think they'll eventually suspend all the tv shows and pass them over to the streaming service it was bumpy in the beginning, but their subscriptions are, uh, they've hit their goals and, um, they got in the millions of subscribers now and, um, as, and they have original program. They're rolling out original programming around sort of their archival things and they're obviously their, their live, their raw, you know, their, um, pay-per-views that air on the networks as well. Um, they have original programs. They have a reality show with the fault with Mick Foley's family called Foley Foley. They have a prank show called Swerve. They have a, uh, so you like it. Yeah. I mean, look, I wish I had more time in my life to, to devote to watching the WWE, the stuff on the WWE network. So look, if you're an old school fan, you can literally call up any match, uh, that you could remember. And it's probably going to be on the WWE network because they own so many of the library tape libraries from all the old promotions. So from an archival standpoint, it's amazing. And then obviously original programming, all of the monthly pay-per-views are on it, which has sort of rendered their pay-per-view revenue stream kind of null and void. So that's where I think the future is a little murky uh, because it used to be the TV was, the, the point of the TV was to promote the pay-per-views. Now they're still called pay-per-views and they still are offered on cable pay-per-view. But if you're a subscriber to the network, you get them for nine nine. You know, you get all of the pay per views in WrestleMania for nine ninety nine a month. Yeah, so it sounds like their subscribers are going up. It's it's a huge revenue stream, obviously. But I don't think Raw and SmackDown will. I don't. I don't think they'll ever give up on uh, you know terrestrial TV. Andrew, thanks for the insight, buddy. You can catch Andrew Goldstein on his weekly podcast, Sorry I've Been So Busy, on iTunes, and follow him on Twitter at Angie Gold. That's A-N-G-E-G-O-L-D. Thank you, sir. Let's talk uh, WrestleMania. Coming up, my movie pick of the week, and is Baz Luhrmann's new multicultural Netflix show, The Get Down, worth the watch? What is usually considered a yawner of a month for movies, August has quietly become fertile ground for award season films. Apart from Oscar-worthy releases such as Florence Foster Jenkins, Sausage Party, and the highly acclaimed Hell or High Water, August has now also given us an astounding gem with Kubo and the Two Strings. My name is Kubo. Released this weekend next to several other movies, such as War Dogs with Jonah Hill and Miles Teller, the disastrous Ben-Hur remake, Natalie Portman's A Tale of Love and Darkness, which she wrote, directed, and stars in, and Daniel Radcliffe's, yes, that same Daniel Radcliffe, he has a thriller called Imperium, Kubo and the Two Strings is unequivocally my pick of the week. This epic Japanese-inspired 3D stop-motion animation is, in my mind, 
the best animated movie of 2016. It's an action-adventure samurai film full of heart, warmth, dramatic realism, and artistic taste. I love this film, and I rarely say that about any movie. I have never seen a film quite like this. From the pulchritude of the visuals, to the painstaking detail given to the characters, to the dramatic arc our young hero experiences, Kubo is a special film. It's the first time I have seen animated characters truly act. The level of craftsmanship here is indelible, and you'd be remiss if you don't go see it as soon as possible. Your kids will love it, you will love it, and you'll be a better person after seeing it. It's time to talk Netflix's The Get Down, a black and Latino music-driven drama show from visual director Baz Luhrmann, which tells the story of the birth of hip hop. Let's take a trip back. Back in the time, 1977, it was maximum prime. This six-episode saga has some bumps in the road, but overall, this New York City story is really about how the less fortunate can showcase, through their talents, that dreams aren't just images in our heads. It can lead to changing the world forever. The fact that it has a young and diverse cast, which includes Jaden Smith and David Diggs from Hamilton, is already a plus. But the music here is the driving force. <laughs> With Grandmaster Flash and Nas serving as producers, hip-hop and music fans alike are sure to find a backbeat of memories and enjoyment. Oh, you hear that? That is life and destiny. That is the get-down. That's it for this second episode of Highly Relevant. I want to thank my good friends Nick Lachey and Andrew Goldstein for joining me on the show this week, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions on how I can improve the show, please email us at highlyrelevant at showbizcafe.com. That's highlyrelevant at showbizcafe.com. Also, if you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a review. It really helps the show reach a wider audience. See you again next Friday on Highly Relevant. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.